you guys mind if I hit record? Uh, I don't. I don't mind. Ben might mind, but I'm. Uh, do you hear my tea boiling? I do. I have um, tea boiling. Okay. I'm. Wait. You do. You do mind, Ben, or you do hear the tea? I consent to being recorded. I do. I do. Okay. Hear, I do hear the tea. All right. <laughs> um, this is great. This is already great. This is fantastic already. Good morning, and welcome to episode 204 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast on baseballperspectus.com. I'm here with uh, Ben Lindbergh, of course. I'm Sam Miller, and today we're joined uh, as well by Carson Stooley for the second annual uh, crossover podcast. Uh, while we are recording this, Carson is also recording for uh, Fangraphs Audio. Carson, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Have you considered that you're missing an opportunity to have a baseball-themed podcast name, like such as Swinging Bunt, or <laughs> perhaps? Uh, well, that's really the only thing. I, why don't you call it Swinging Bunt? <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that's a reasonable question. Um, I I prefer something that's just maybe something more plainly descriptive. He's a company man. Well, no. I mean, what do you what do you get? Do you have what now? Fringe average? What are you guys? We do. We are you, we are effectively wild. We have effectively wild. We yeah. have a fringe average as well. Yeah. Um. Oh, I could call it maybe. Uh, I could Drop, call it dropped third strike. Owing to the irreverent nature of of the um, podcast, another could call it out of left field, perhaps. Mm-hmm. We actually have an out of left field column. Yes. On base. Matthew oh, Corey's column. So sorry that that is taken. That is taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I guess that's it then. No, I prefer, uh, I like uh, very uh, terse, descriptive words. So audio, this is, for me is appealing to me. Um, it, I can guarantee it's not appealing to many people. Um, if our numbers <laughs> are any indication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, miserable. Really but, just. I mean, if you want to keep it on the audio tip, you could call it, for instance, sounds of the game or crack okay. of the bat. <laughs> crack of, yeah. The, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I will take that into consideration, Sam Miller. <laughs> okay. You are and hundreds of episodes in at this point, so you're not obligated to, to change names midstream. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I appreciate that, Ben Lindbergh. <laughs> you're welcome. So uh, all parties have been heard from on this mm-hmm. matter. Was that your... Was that, was that the top... top. Your, that was your topic. Okay. <laughs> all right, very uh, good. Uh, we all actually did bring topics. We have three topics today. Carson, uh, what topic did you bring? I'm going to ask about uh, uh, you guys, your strategies for consuming baseball, for consuming live baseball, uh, whether it be uh, MLB TV, actual broadcast television, radio, etc. Sure. Ben? Uh, I wanted to talk about the ways that the 2013 Yankees are or are not like the 2012 Orioles. Hmm. Uh, interesting. That's, uh, that's a good slate pitch. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, I'm wasting it here. And I'd like to talk about uh, the uh, the gold mine of scouting reports that we've all recently been exposed to on the internet. Excellent. Look mm-hmm. forward to it, Sam Miller. Okay. So, uh, Ben, why don't you start? Because you have a topic that's real. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. So I've been I've been pondering, I guess, uh, how much. How much credit a, a general manager such as Brian Cashman uh, or, or a manager such as Joe Girardi should, should be given 
for the success of the Yankees this year and the way that they have succeeded. Uh, and it seems like there are some parallels to what we saw from the Orioles last season, but also uh, some ways in which they are dramatically different. I, I guess we spent most of last season talking about the Orioles' run differential and how it did not seem to agree with their actual record, uh, especially early in the season. And we talked a lot about their record in one-run games, uh, especially how it was excellent. Uh, they went 29-9 and in, in one-run games, uh, and we attributed that, I guess, largely to luck, as well as to a good bullpen. I guess uh, I guess informed minds can, can disagree about the extent to which one or the other deserves credit for that. But the, the Yankees uh, have the same sort of one-run winning thing going on right now. They are 8-2 in, in one-run games, which is actually a higher winning percentage than 29-9. and uh, And they also seem to have the, the pretty good bullpen going on, or the pretty good back of the bullpen. And they have a run differential that is pretty good, not quite as good as their actual record, but but not so different that we would forecast some sort of massive decline. Um, but then when you start looking at the the individual performances and taking in triple slash lines of players like Travis Hafner and Vernon Wells and maybe to a lesser extent Lyle, Lyle Overbay, uh, you start to wonder, I guess, whether, whether that was anticipated or whether we shouldn't really give the Yankees any more credit for that than just sort of signing those guys as stopgaps or trading for those guys as stopgaps because they needed a warm body and those warm bodies have produced more than more than we expected and and maybe more than the Yankees have expected or whether Brian Cashman or Joe Girardi actually has some skill in getting more out of players like this than you would expect I think there is there's a perception maybe that there is some sort of Yankees magic when it comes to resuscitating uh, seemingly undead players like this, uh, whether it be Wells or Hafner or, or Itro last season, and otherwise rational writers who would require evidence uh, for, for, for things like this would maybe accept the idea that there is some sort of Yankee talent to resuscitating players like this. Which is so interesting because there's that flip side, which is the, the the narrative that's been around since like at least the early '80s, that if you're good and you go to New York, it it, it kills you. Yeah, or at least with with certain people, I guess there's the narrative that certain people cannot handle New York in a way that you don't tend to hear about, say, players not being able to handle Milwaukee, for instance. Um, so I don't know. I think I I might write about that tonight and kind of look at whether there is any evidence that that the Yankees are better at this than any other team. Um, but I wanted to get your guys, your thoughts on, I don't know, how much of this is fluke, how much is is good planning or ability to to find underappreciated talents, um, and, and how the rest of the season will play out. I guess it's, it's different than the Orioles in that the Yankees have established players on the way back or, or back now or almost back, uh, so that if their if their luck kind of subsides as the season goes on, maybe they will be able to replace it with actual talent. Um, but discuss. Well, uh, Sam, would you mind if I said a thing? Please. Yeah. The um, <clears throat> so with regard to 
to this uh, this point with regard uh, uh, concerning Yankees magic, whether it exists or not. Mm-hmm. Um, cer- certainly, I have nothing definitive to say on the matter. However, I do remember at one point Cody Ross uh, mentioning, I don't know whether, it, my, 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 it must have been an interview I read with him, uh, where he was talking about how miserable he was when he was in Miami, uh, nay, Florida, with the Marlins, in that the organization was uh, generally not like a, it was not necessarily a fun place to be, no fault necessarily of the uh, field management or his teammates, but just that the organization seemed like it was not particularly well run. And of course, Cody Ross had decent, uh, if not necessarily excellent seasons, as in Marlin, and um, that's you know, it's very possible that's just because that was his talent level. And then um, he went to San Francisco, and I actually don't know, I'll be honest, if he was better or not better, but I do know that he was that he was good in the in the very right time, such that his legacy uh, became, I guess, um, well, he had one, is the point. <laughs> People knew who Cody Ross was all of a sudden because he had, well, he had like, what, three or four home runs in a playoff series or something. He did something good. Anyway, the point being that and then, of course, he went to Boston, um, and now he's now he's in Arizona. Now he's like a real player. That could just be a function of, of, uh, of getting older and his name being around more. It uh, could be a function of playing in larger markets like San Francisco, Boston, etc. It does seem as though that um, because now you know that's that's a case where if you're playing for the Marlins and then you're playing in markets that care like the Giants and the Red Sox uh, do, that. It, that you might be more inclined to at least reach your peak performance. Um, that seems like it's a it's a possibility. But I, I would be interested, I guess, in the dis- in the construction of a study that would that would be gauged to measure such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the the study would be interesting in in the sense that it would first um, fall to whomever was conducting the study uh, to um, to essentially to to rate like um, the affability of different organizations mm. and um that seems like it would require a lot of anecdotal information um it's likely not to happen but i would like to see a sort of ranking of t of organizations that are best uh down to worst to play for i mean i assume that you know i assume that the marlins are actually an organization for which players don't particularly care to play except for the fact that they're getting a chance in the major leagues uh and then perhaps uh, i don't know who knows maybe an organization like the brewers for example is this, uh, you know uh, um, is one for which players do like to play because it's uh, you know there's uh, people you know I mean like for example um, Milwaukee or Miller Park gets uh, pretty excellent attendances especially relative to the population of the city so maybe that's a good thing but I don't know I, that 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 would be the most exciting thing for me at least in beginning to ask the question of do the Yankees have a certain magic do organizations generally uh, do players like playing for some organizations other than others? So, um, Ben, a couple of weeks ago, weren't we asked something about the Yankees and Pakoda and whether uh, they, they, whether Pakoda is constantly too like low on the Yankees or too high on the Yankees? Or yes. Like that? Mm-hmm. And the question was asked from the perspective that there's, you know, that there must be something biased about Pakoda if that were the case. Um, but in in this sort of scenario that you're suggesting, whereby uh, either Brian Cashman is is better at identifying these players, or there's something about playing for the Yankees that makes them better. It would actually be that these players are, in a way, biased uh, toward outperforming Pakoda, if that were true. Mm-hmm. And uh, remind me, we found nothing. Is that right? Over the course, of the yeah, I think we found 
something like a win per season or, or a little less even that the Yankees had exceeded their preseason projection and we sort of attributed that either to nothing or maybe to the their tendency to be in contention and trade for players at midseason, which is not something you can account for in a preseason projection, or at least something that we are not currently accounting for. Yeah, that sounds very likely. I mean, they're always going to be able to purchase a player at the deadline. Yeah. So. so we talked about whether it would be wise to to insert some sort of fudge factor for for teams like the Yankees or maybe just the Yankees. Uh, or, or I guess we said if a team is, is forecasted to be a contender, then you would give them some small boost on top of that with the idea that, that they would be in a position to be buyers. Yeah, So, but anyway, if, if, if there were actually some, uh, if, if individual Yankees were outperforming for whatever reason, it would show up in them you know, beating projections. Although, I guess theoretically, you might, uh, like we mentioned a minute ago, there might be other players who... Uh, are just the opposite. So I guess if you were studying this, you would want to see whether there was a, a, a larger spread in each direction that would cancel it, each other out. Um, but, I mean, my guess is that that would be a, a lot of research for nothing conclusive or nothing even particularly suggestive. Mm-hmm. I did, uh, strangely enough, I talked to a player yesterday who just sort of tossed in as an aside uh, when we were talking about why some players, uh, you know, why some teams do better and some teams do worse than you expect. Boston as an aside, the idea that playing in New York or Boston makes players better, uh, just feeling special to be there, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, and, and he was, I think he was actually was talking about it in the context of, um, of getting an extension. If you, if you're a, you know, fourth year player and your team gives you an extension, you feel, uh, like this club values you and it, it gives a little bit of boost to your confidence. And if they say, oh, we'll go year to year with you. They're basically telegraphing to you. We think you're going to fall apart next year, or or something. And uh, so similarly, uh, he said that there was, you know, uh, there was a, a Boston slash New York factor where you feel like, uh, you know, you just got hired by, you know, like it would be like if one of us got hired by Sports Illustrated or something. It would, uh, it would either make you feel really great because you made it to the top of the game, or it would make you feel. Uh, wrapped with pressure, and you would probably collapse in shame and anxiety, like all three of us. Yeah, uh, that so, sounds more likely. That latter one. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. There are mechanisms in place that would explain this phenomenon if you saw it. Uh, I uh, tend not to think that we've seen it um, because I, I think we would notice if a, if this if if there was a uh, well. I mean, I, I would think we would notice, but maybe we wouldn't notice. Maybe nobody has looked at it. Um, but as for the, the Yankees this year, um, they are, I, you know, I, we talked last year about the Orioles luck and we also talked about the A's luck, which was a totally different kind of luck mm-hmm. in, in one luck. The front office got lucky and the crappy players they signed played well. And in the other, uh, kind of luck, the team got lucky by playing crappy and somehow winning anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Yankees are like like maybe a third of each kind of luck and a third of actually being like underneath it all, like a pretty good team. I mean, even in their injured state, yeah, they're getting this random value out of Vernon Wells and Lyle Overbay, but you know, they're also getting good value out of Robbie Cano, who's a superstar and they're getting value out of Brett Gardner, who's a, who's a very good player and they're getting value out of Hiroki Kuroda and CC Spathia and Mariano Rivera. I mean, most of their, you know, at the very top of their warp leaderboard, uh, you see a lot of good names. Mm-hmm. So 
there's uh, there's a there's a genuineness I think to this team that you wouldn't say about the Orioles last year at all. Uh, I would also submit uh, at uh, the site recently at Fangraphs, uh, Jesse Wolfersberger uh, did a uh, did did some work on the 2012 Orioles as representative of um, uh, a team that has had succeeded, as we've mentioned, uh, as we've mentioned here, as a team that succeeded uh, in one-run games, uh, and he looked at uh, he looked at other teams. Uh, I think uh, 2007 to 2011 to see uh, what the qualities were that belonged to uh, teams that had excelled in one-run games. Um, in addition to uh, a strong relief core, um, and in particular, it appears as though it was uh, strikeout rates uh, f- uh, among the strikeout yeah strikeout rates among relievers. He also found the teams with higher isolated power uh, were more likely to have uh, to be winning one-run games, um, which. Um, this could apply to the Yankees. Uh, they don't have the highest mark by that measure at this point. Um, I think that they're, you know, like 10th or something like that. Uh, but they do seem, with their roster, to have potential. And, of course, every year, you know, they have a team that's probably top third or top, uh, top, you know, top five in isolated, uh, isolated slugging. Was there a, a hypothesis for why isolated power would be relevant? Because that seems like a, 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 a statistic that would intuitively lead to greater margins of victory and, and, and loss. Um, good point, Sam Miller. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, unless I were to reread it in the, uh, literally this minute Whoa, and wait. just let, let the podcast go quiet, <laughs> I would not know. Uh, but... Yeah, I guess because you can hit a home run. You hit one home. You hit a home run. You hit a home run, and then the team, <laughs> the team wins. <laughs> you hit, can, um, that's your one run. Q, QED. Right. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we concluded. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, good job. Yeah. So there we go. I think uh, we've established all the answers. All right. Carson, why don't you keep talking now about your topic? Oh yeah, very good. Um, so recently, actually, on this. Uh, on Fangraphs Audio, of which the, we are, this is currently half Fangraphs Audio. Uh, recently, I had a conversation with a colleague and um, almost friend at this point, near friend, uh, Robert J. Bauman, who writes for Knockgraphs. And we got to discussing uh, techniques or strategies uh, for consuming baseball. Uh, not necessarily like, these were not necessarily tips um, for listeners because uh, neither Bauman nor I have really any idea of what we're doing with our own lives. Uh, but mostly it was an opportunity to uh, share, perhaps learn from each other, uh, if not from each other's strengths, then certainly from each other's weaknesses, um, which is the uh, which is a sort of thing that friends can do for each other. Uh, he, and we were talking about ways we consume. I had asked him, I said, well, you live in Milwaukee. He lives in Milwaukee. I said, you live in Milwaukee. Uh, you must listen quite a bit to games on the radio, as one would if he or she lived in Milwaukee, because uh, the very excellent Bob Euchre, of course, does uh, does the radio there? Um, but he said for out of market games, what he likes to do is, uh, like for example, recently he was putting together some chat books like manually. So what he would do is he would clear off his desk and he would have he would be putting together the chat books manually, and then uh, next to his desk, he has a like a tall trash can. Uh, he would put like a piece of cardboard over it, put his computer on that, open up his computer, and then watch games on MLB uh, TV using that. Um, I know that I, for example. One thing I will frequently do is while I'm working, especially at night, um, or 
mid-afternoon uh, for for Ben Lindbergh. Um, it would. Uh, what I will do is uh, I'll have a game on using MLB TV on uh, my PlayStation uh, 3. Mm-hmm. I'll have a game on, so it's sort of in the corner of the eye. And usually it's at this point it's going to be a West Coast game. Um, so, for, for example, if the Dodgers are playing at home, I'll frequently uh, watch those games just out of the corner of my eye, uh, but also to have Vin Scully's voice on um, because it's um, reassuring and... Uh, and uh, a nice thing to, to sort of um, have keeping you company, uh, especially in the dark of night when all the um, when all not it, it's not just dark outside, but it's also dark inside uh, one's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's it. And um, uh, we talked about maybe watching games on the computer. Like for example, I subscribe to MILB TV. Mm-hmm. However, I will frequently not just sit down to watch a full game. Uh, usually, I will utilize that to go look at a particular pitcher or a particular batter. As well, uh, but. Yeah, but I will I will generally not just sit down and watch like nine innings like at my desk or whatever. I find it so not pleasant. So mm-hmm. I'm curious. Uh, and let's see who answered. Well, Sam, you. I guess I maybe I begin. Well, let's let's start with Ben Lindbergh. Uh, and of course, watching games live at the stadium is another thing, uh, another possibility. And perhaps there's some that I've neglected. But I'm curious uh, as to what your uh, strategies are for consuming live baseball. So I have uh, I have the PS3 set up, and that is probably the, the primary way that I watch baseball at this point. Um, I do my 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 work computer is is not in the same room as my PlayStation. Uh, so what I do have is multiple monitors, uh, as well as as a a TV that is connected to my computer and is not connected to a cable box. So its its sole purpose is to serve as sort of a, a third monitor. Uh, so that is above my two actual computer monitors. So what I will do is, is kind of stick baseball on that third monitor uh, where I can glance up at it from time to time. But I do have difficulty multitasking where baseball is concerned, I think. Uh, I, I can succeed at multitasking where some tasks are concerned, but if there is an actual entertaining baseball game on any screen in my vicinity, I find myself not really capable of doing any work whatsoever. Uh, and so that is kind of a problem. Um, because of my sort of strange sleeping schedule, I am often writing or editing during prime baseball playing time uh, yeah. or or sometimes stressing about the podcast and how I have nothing to talk about. Um, and so generally I, I might have it on in the background, but lately I've been I've been more of a consumer of of highlight shows actually uh, just because it, it is it is a more efficient, Less less pleasurable in some ways, but more efficient way to consume baseball and and stay apprised of baseball developments. So I what's will, this? Can you uh, talk about your go-to? Um, I I will I'll put on I will put on Quick Pitch usually okay. uh, on, on MLB Network. Not not because I have any special affinity for that particular show, or because I think it's it's better produced than than any other highlight show. But it is just kind of always on in the middle of the night. Uh, when I am when I am laboring, um, so I, I put it on and kind of see what happened that way. Uh, but during the week, it is it is rare that I will sit down and, and watch a game from start to finish. 
yeah, that sounds about right. So, but but quick pitch. Now, do you know it, quick pitch is on? That's on MLB Network. Do you know if that's available uh, via the internet? Uh, I do not know that. Okay. All right. That's fine. That's fine. That's uh, uh we've done no research. It mm-hmm. should be noted. So, um, let that be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Miller, I defer to you now. Yeah. So I uh, I actually have a hard time uh, watching baseball, which is not to say that I don't watch baseball. I watch a great deal of it, but. I, uh, I have a hard time enjoying it now in a, in, for a few reasons, um, uh, primarily because I'm, I'm very unproductive when I do it. And even though it is uh, my, my job to do it, it still doesn't, even after these, these years, it does not feel like my job. It still feels like I'm, I'm shirking. And for instance, when I'm at home with my family and I'm watching baseball, uh, it feels to me as well as to my wife like, <laughs> like I'm not doing work. I, and it's uh, it's it's hard to it's hard for me to watch baseball, um, especially because like um, I have a great deal of shame over the way that I watch baseball for fantasy baseball outcomes. Still, like okay. you know, I, I even like I in that case, I, it really feels like if I'm watching a pitcher who I'm rooting for for fantasy baseball uh, reasons. Uh, there's no real intellectual work going on in my head. I'm completely wasting that time, and then I feel like I'm I'm using work as an excuse to uh, to have a totally pointless hobby. There's a um, there's a phenomenon, and I forget the the word for it, but it it's something like like gamers regret or gamers remorse or something like that, which is the the sort of feeling that uh, that video game players have after playing for a long time, where like the adrenaline in their brain all just sort of dries up when they quit and they realize that they've just spent like nine hours staring unblinkingly at a screen and they feel sadness there's a there's like a sorrow to it yes uh, that sounds mm-hmm. that sounds yes i have that experienced sounds, that yeah so, and not not just gaming but it's true anytime you do one i sort of like objectively well i mean everything is meaningless i think we can all agree on that right yeah. uh, yes uh, but is extra meaningless, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Meaningless with a bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, so uh, I, yeah. So I feel that. I feel that um, at the end of a lot of. I, I have a. I have a, a period of time each day when I can work before. Um, you know, before I pick up my daughter. And at the end of that time, if I've if I've watched baseball in a in a particular way, uh, which is to say. Uh, uh, for entertainment or self-interest, rather than uh, as a as a as an intellectual pursuit, uh, I feel that sorrow and that that shame. And and in particular, uh, I didn't answer the question quite so uh, specifically as you guys did, but I generally watch on my computer uh, on MLB TV, and it's MLB TV is an amazing thing. It's a great. I don't want to make this sound like I'm saying anything bad about MLB TV because it's an amazing thing, uh, but. Uh, it is not quite as soothing as, for instance, uh, staring at a beautiful sunset. Uh, it's it's it can be a, a bit um, uh, I don't know glitchy on your eyes to stare at this screen and have it be slightly less smooth than reality um, and to be this uh, you know small box on a you know uh, uh, slightly blurry screen. Uh, and it messes with your head to some degree, and so uh, I think there's also a physical reaction I have when I watch too much baseball. This is a a weird thing to be saying, is it not? To to be complaining about? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's interesting though. But um, um, first of all, I, I, Sam Miller, you know that I that I love you, um, 
and I, I love you even more now because of I I sense this about you I guess but now it's it's very clear that you do that most of the things you do you do out of a deep sense of shame or <laughs> with a deep sense of shame or guilt um, clo- in, in close attendance and that's great I think that's excellent because um, what I hear you saying is that even though to think and write about baseball is your job when you watch baseball for pleasure um, you feel as though you're doing something wrong yes um, and that's excellent I think that's great never <laughs> never change the um, uh, yeah, yeah but I, I think the other thing is, is interesting too is like and it also just has to do with something that uh, I'm sure I will receive zero sympathy from anyone who likes thinking and writing about baseball but does not get paid for it um, is that there uh, if you write baseball Maybe for all um, outlets, all news sources, uh, but certainly I know that as an as an internet baseball writer, um, there's not really any beginning or end to the day officially, mm-hmm. um, and so you feel as though you're always sort of expected to be. I know that I always feel as though I'm always expected to be sort of half working, or if even if I'm doing something that's like nominally uh, leisure, like for leisure purposes, like I will always sort of be checking to make sure that. I don't necessarily know what would have happened because God knows uh, Dave Cameron at all did not expect me to write real analysis. But um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I always feel as though I have to sort of have my eye cast for this. Uh, maybe you know, uh, at the very least, maybe Matt Harvey has thrown an excellent slider uh, that requires um, to, uh, um, that needs to be rendered into animated GIF form. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's always sort of that tug um, that. Um, well, it's the sort of thing when, when you're, we you know, be careful what, what you wish for because it might come true. Um, it has come true, and it's excellent that it's come true. Uh, okay. But it's not always, nothing is always going to be uh, excellent. I mean, um, you know, it's just how life is. It's burdened, <laughs> burdened by fear and misery. I find yeah, that, I, that I treat a baseball game now as, as potential content, I guess, more than yes. recreation in that if anything notable or or odd or interesting happens in that game i feel a pressure to to post about it uh in order to have something to show for the the time that i spent watching that game um so often there will there will be something weird like that someone will swing in a pitch that is that is three feet outside and i will wonder how that ranks among pitches that people swung at that were really far outside. Uh, and then I will stop watching the game and I will go <laughs> look that up uh, and maybe it will actually be notable and then suddenly I'll be writing something about it and I am no longer watching or enjoying the game. Um, but I, I, I got I really, something out of it. Yeah, I enjoy that. Uh, that's what I enjoy most. I, I really enjoy. Uh, I, I also watch now, looking for something to, to make a gif of, basically, or to look up on Play Index. And um, to me, the feeling when you switch from the game to actually producing something that came out of the game to 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 writing something out of it or to looking up something about it or or even just a tweet that is useful, um, <laughs> a tweet that is useful. Uh, uh, that to me uh, uh, kicks in a different part of my brain that's deeply satisfied. It's when I don't do that that I, I feel a bit odd. I, I'm also a, I was a radio kid growing up, um, especially I, I guess a lot of us probably were because unless you were a Cubs or a Braves fan, there'd be like maybe 40 games on a year. Uh, you know, they, they never aired home games, for instance, when I was a kid. 
Um, so I was always a radio guy, and I would do chores while I listened on the radio. And so baseball was never a uh, front-of-the-brain pursuit for me. It was always the thing that I listened to while I was doing other things. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to every every minute of every game and the pregame and the postgame, but it would be while doing chores or while playing ball or while, you know, sorting cards, uh, always while doing something else. And I find that I still to this day enjoy baseball most uh, when it's uh, on a radio, when I'm, you know, outside pulling weeds or when I'm doing the dishes and I'm, and I'm listening rather than watching. Um, but MLB TV is so tempting. It's hard not to watch if you can watch. And right. that, that changes. I mean, your body does things. When you sit down, when you stop, you know, when you go from a standing position to a sitting position, your, your body actually reacts in a lot of different ways. It basically thinks that you're going to sleep and it shuts down. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not healthy for us to sit. It's, you know, extremely healthy for us to stand. And uh, so I think anybody who has sat at a desk or sat at a TV screen for eight hours knows that, uh, you know, it, it does suck a little bit of energy out of you and changes your mood. Um, so I don't know. I, I have to be somewhat diligent about that. But I, um, I love that baseball exists more than I have a, a, a huge desire to watch it uh, uh, a lot of times. Well, I will actually. I'll add two things. Uh, one, I think that yeah, one of the things to which that draws me most to the game is the fact that it's its ubiquity. Uh, I mean, basically, you know, most times a day, uh, there's, there's, you know, there, it, there's a possibility there's going to be a game on. Uh, certainly, as you get to the evening, there's going to be a game on. And yeah, I used it. Uh, I mean, my fondest memories of baseball are listening to it uh, on WEI uh, radio out of Boston as I was falling asleep as a younger man um and especially you know especially like if there was a west coast game that would be like that would really nail it and i would always every night i would listen to games as i was falling asleep and that was kind of my experience with it and it was nice to know that as i was going to bed there was gonna be something it was like it's it's so dependable you know it's like you you understand like the the narrative structure of a baseball game becomes so familiar and then of course from that there are you know you there are rough edges um and and uh anomalies that occur but the, the the main part of it is that it's very comforting it's the same voices there's, you know there was always joe castiglione um as i was going but so that was always very pleasant the second thing i'll say is that i've actually started watching baseball standing up uh i was not expecting to say that but um, um we always have my wife and i we always have leftovers and uh, because she knows i cannot take care of myself uh, my wife always leaves the leftovers for me um and when I come back from the cafe in the morning, I come back around noon or one, I will stand up in the kitchen and put on MLB TV either for a present game or a game from the day before, and I will watch that way. And it's actually much pleasant, much more pleasant. That's actually mm-hmm. the way w- in which I've enjoyed watching baseball the most uh, in recent years. If I, if I could just – my bottom line for the answer to this question is if, if somebody asked me for advice on how to enjoy baseball more, uh, I, would, I would probably recommend that for a season – uh, just just don't watch a game on TV. Just uh, cut your MLB TV subscription for a season um, and just listen. Just do a season listening. And, uh, you know, I, I don't do it. I, I If your job is to, to watch games, then I wouldn't recommend it in that case. Um, but in the same way that I think that we all fantasize about not playing fantasy baseball, but we can't bring ourselves to do it. Well, well, no, well we all, that's very general. I, I really like, I like fantasy baseball a lot. Well, I do too, but don't you don't you don't you don't ever fantasize about not doing it? Fantasize about not not engaging my fantasies. 
No, I don't. Um, well, and maybe it's a little different. So you're not playing baseball. I, I don't actually because I don't have a team for which I, that I in which I have any sort of rooting interest. So my rooting interest is in my two fantasy teams. Yeah. So I actually experience zero of the guilt that you mentioned before when I cheer for this or that pitcher because I feel like I feel like you know say I were still a Red Sox fan. Uh, on the one hand, I could cheer for Clay Buckholtz, and in, in that way, that would be a thing I was doing. And if Clay Buckholtz did well, I would feel good. And if he did poorly, then I would feel less good. Um, but when if Clay Buckholtz is on my fantasy team and he pitches well, then what it does is not only is it good for my fans, it, it, it signals to my um, league mates, who are also my friends, uh, that I know more about baseball than they do. And that, yeah. is, that is important currency. That is the most valuable currency, even more valuable than the pound. At, it, at the height of its value. <laughs> my, uh, my, my problem with, with uh, my, my shame about fantasy baseball is not that I'm rooting for morally suspect outcomes. It's that uh, I have no discipline with regards to monitoring. And so I will put uh, virtually any activity aside so that I can uh, check to see how Lonnie Chisenhall did today. And there's a, I mean, I've spent, I've basically spent 17 years of my life clicking refresh on Yahoo. And it disgusts me <laughs> how, many, how many times I've clicked refresh, especially because I am not exaggerating. I am a Yahoo refresher. That is that is how I check my team is clicking refresh on Yahoo. <laughs> they have they have extensions these days there is that, a will, stat that will do that for you. No joke. I, I will not do that because it's too easy. I don't <laughs> I need the I need the thrill like a like a slot machine junkie. I actually need this the tiny tiny adrenaline hit that comes from refresh and uncertainty. If it updates manually, it's no it's no pleasure at all for me. That's and actually yeah. I will actually I'll be watching a game sometimes <laughs> on MLB TV and it will be 1 second behind the Yahoo or vice versa, whichever one I'm more engaged in. But say I'm watching it and I'm it's 1 second behind the Yahoo and I will make sure that I can't see the Yahoo refresh because uh, it will spoil the outcome for me. Like once, like five seconds later, the outcome that I'm I'm actually counting on, and I don't want to have the outcome spoiled by the thing. It's bizarre. I mean, my brain is uh, is is wired differently when I'm doing fantasy baseball, and I, I don't particularly like it. So that's why that's why I fantasize about breaking the. I gave up fantasy a few years ago because I was noticing these symptoms of addictive behavior that clearly you are you continue to be afflicted with. Uh, so I have I have replaced fantasy baseball to some extent with I think reading about baseball or or consuming baseball uh, via Google Reader primarily for now while it still exists. Um, and I feel kind of a constant pressure to be reading about baseball, which is mostly an enjoyable activity, uh, and I, I seek out articles about baseball, but I also feel kind of obligated to, to be aware of everything that is going on, just sort of to be informed, to to make sure that I'm not duplicating an article that someone else just wrote uh, as, as a form of sort of opposition research or for inspiration or what have you. And doing that kind of constantly throughout the day um, I guess fulfills some portion of my need, my daily, my daily requirement, recommended daily requirement for baseball, uh, so that by the time we get to the point where games actually begin to be played, I have been reading about baseball uh, on and off for hours and hours, and I know that I will do the same thing the next day, 
so that whatever actually transpires in those games, I will find out about via text, uh, which maybe is is not it's not as as pleasant in some ways as actually watching it. Um, but I know I'm going to be aware of it, and so when I then have to start writing or editing, uh, it is it is difficult to give myself over to that activity completely. Um, well, good. Uh, Carson, can I just real quick, uh, I was thinking that you could name your podcast the accounts and descriptions of this game. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but um, I was going to call it simulcast with baseball prospectus. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, always, always <laughs> name it that. Accounts and descriptions. Uh, the accounts and descriptions of this game. I, what if I just do accounts and descriptions? I think that's, that's a, people will recognize the language in a think? short. Yeah, accounts and descriptions. I think so. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think it's, I, to be honest, I think it's just short of full recognition. Uh, I think that people will, I mean, it sounds somewhat like, um, like like a uh, like a like a uh, an accounting phrase, for instance, it sounds okay. like sounds like something yeah. that you might hear from the accounting department. Yeah. Accounts people, and descriptions. This game is very people, long, though. It's not a great title. The podcast that shall not be disseminated. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. Well, we should move on to our. Yeah, we should move on. Channel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the uh, the Hall of Fame has posted on its website. Uh, a vast trove of old scouting reports. Uh, you and I and the other you, uh, not knowing which you I was referring to in that case, have all, I'm sure, consumed a number of these. And I just wanted to know if, uh, from each of you, uh, what you enjoy about them and whether you think that there's going to be further use for them in your lives or whether these are just uh, pure candy. Uh, I, I guess I'll begin. I I mean, I think the, the natural, the first thing that you that you gravitate towards is uh, a report that is spectacularly wrong or mm -hmm. spectacularly right. Uh, just a, a player who a scout pegged perfectly when, when no one else expected him to be as good as he became, or just someone who completely missed out on a player's potential. Those are just, they're sort of entertaining. Um, they are entertaining, but I guess my question is that I can't, I'm trying to figure out what the significance of either of those are. I mean, we know that baseball right. is unpredictable, mm -hmm. and we know that in some way, you know, that that some scouts do get things. Right. I mean, that scouts are better than us. So we know that both of those things are true. Uh, are these simply confirming things that we've already internalized, and we like them because they're comforting? I guess so. Or, or yeah, I mean, just maybe the fact that that a, a professional who is paid to evaluate players could be so wrong maybe makes us feel better about our own predictive powers um possibly I, I i think there is there's potential for for research certainly with with scouting reports i'm not sure that that these scouting reports are presented in a, a form that lends itself to research uh just in that you you kind of have to look at one i mean it's not really in a in a easily transferable to a database format where you could kind of have everything in a in fields that you could quantify that you could query and, and do some sort of analysis with it's kind of a, a clunky format that is that is difficult to to do that sort of analysis on um, and not standardized and, and right. very far from inclusive I mean yeah. there are probably uh, there are probably I mean how many scouting reports do you think are fire filed about a, a player 
filed about a player in his career, uh, not not counting when he's in the not counting advanced scouting, just as a uh, as a drafty slash minor leaguer, uh, three hundred, four hundred for oh, all teams to, put together. Um, for, yeah, it has to be a lot. Uh, yes, I, yeah. So and so we're seeing we're seeing one to one to six okay. of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I will say my my primary interest in them was um, in seeing. I mean, it, it was exciting. The idea I think is probably more exciting to me than the actual presentation. Not to say that the Hall of Fame has done a poor job at all in presenting them, but as you know, like I don't necessarily know how to use them quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I was most excited for the potential writing opportunities, and we mentioned this earlier with regard to watching a game. Right. I was um, I thought, thought Grant Brisby did a excellent job at uh, baseball nation of uh looking at five what five little known scouting reports or whatever mm-hmm. uh essentially rewriting uh using the same font um reports for Derek jeter at that time or r.a dickey uh that was very amusing um i mean insofar as full of lies uh funny and then i know jeremy blackman who writes for knockrafts he also did a piece called uh oh so he has a character um whose voice he writes called hopeless joe uh, and Hopeless Joe is um, is not a, he's a, he's a he's not a happy man, uh, and so for example he did he submits a Hopeless Joe's scouting report of B.J. Upton. Mostly Hopeless Joe um, wonders why we bother at all, and he <laughs> says the same things about B.J. Upton. I read that. Uh, and and you, what's that? I said I, I read that and I enjoyed it. Oh okay yes very good um, and uh, yes that was the point I hope uh, yeah so I think that was actually my main interest. Um, I mean, it's fun to see what the Wade Boggs one. I saw Wade Boggs one today, recently, maybe. And Wade Boggs, uh, like, oh, he's going to need to learn something with the bat. He's going to need to be better with his bat. But, of course, he ended up being one of the best with his bat. That was what he was good at. So it's hard to say, you know. But that scout probably did other things that were good. So it's it's hard to make any conclusions, I guess, draw any conclusions. I suppose it's mostly interesting at this point for sort of like voyeuristic purposes, where Mm -hmm. you can kind of see uh, see what's going on in organizations, at least organizations as they existed 25 years ago. Yeah, scouts basically do two things when they're looking at players of that level. They they describe and then they extrapolate, they predict. And I I think I think it's probably not that helpful as a predictive to look back at what their predictions are, to be honest, because they're going to be some of them are going to be spectacularly right and some are going to be spectacularly wrong and i i honestly don't think we can learn all that much about which ones they're right about or which ones they're wrong about because we're not seeing them on and you know things happen i do think that the descriptive elements of it are probably interesting and useful when i was a news reporter uh any anytime you were writing about any anybody the first thing you were supposed to do is basically check the archives and um, maybe check LexisNexis to make sure that you're not dealing with a criminal who is, you know, like the, the, the guy leading the, the, the fundraiser isn't actually someone horrible who you're going to be really embarrassed the day the story comes out. He's <laughs> a monster. And uh, I feel like uh, in a similar way, although for completely different reasons, uh, I feel like anybody I write about now, the, f- the first thing to do is to go to go look and see if there are any of these out there because uh, it is a it is it's a rare snapshot of uh, getting to have a player described to you totally honestly by a person who knows and we rarely get that we get descriptions from announcers from from broadcasters from writers and from self-interested GMs and or you know self-interested managers 
or from our own flawed flawed eyes and um you know it's it's very rare that you get a, a totally honest account from somebody who's good and so i think that for your own for your own writing about players and for your own analysis of players it's useful to see this this snapshot that sets a, uh, that helps you set a clear trajectory from a from a point that is true. Now, part of the problem is that, uh, in my as far as I can tell, these are mainly players who are retired or long past the uh, the age of, of mystery. So you're not gonna like I don't think you're gonna I don't think you're gonna be able to like look up Stephen Pierce, for instance, and and read a Stephen Pierce scouting profile. I, I could be wrong. Have you guys seen many contemporary players? Any contemporary players? Uh, I think they would all be they would all be veterans who are approaching the end of their careers at this point. Yeah, or some. So, so it'd be uh, you know that like I see that there's a Lance Berkman one in here, and I mean there's there's some of this, and and so I'll look up, especially for veterans, I'll look it up. But it would be even more amazing. The, the closer they get to, I mean, the more there are, the better it'll be, and the more contemporary they are, the better it'll be. And that's it. I gotta go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so wait, Ben, do you want to do your your uh, closing, or shall we do mine first? We don't really have a closing. We just kind of oh, well, say that's it. It's over. Oh well, I'm, can I can I say can I do my closing? Yes, again? by all means. Uh, I want to thank um, I want to thank uh, who do I, I want to thank some people. Um, I want to thank Sam Miller, for example. <laughs> Sam, thank you. Yeah. Uh, of baseball. I want to thank Ben Lindbergh, um, editor editor of I guess editor. You're an editor of some sort of editor in chief. Editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectives. I'm going to thank you, Ben Lindbergh. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, that has been Sam Miller, Ben Lindbergh. I'm Carson Testuli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. And, not, and also not Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>